talk to any pilot is uh, always a critical point in the flight of, of an aircraft and lift off uh, when they're launching something from uh, Cape Canaveral or, or there's some sort of uh, rocket being launched. First huge step is lift off, actually break away the enormous energy it takes uh, and strength. Uh, so we're going to see purpose to achieve liftoff. We're going to apply it to us as saints, as we heard uh, in the gifts. You know, there's a little phrase we all know, I think, or a lot of us know in the Bible, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It's declared in the Old Testament uh, under the Old Covenant, and it's actually quoted three times in the New Testament. We won't go there for time, but it's quoted in Galatians 3, verse 11, Romans 1, verse 17, and Hebrews 10, verse 38. Three times, the just shall live by faith. Now, interesting, it's not anyone can live by faith. Faith is a very powerful thing. In the hands of someone who, who's not a, uh, a Christian, if someone just believes and the Lord says he answers faith, as he demonstrated uh, with folks who weren't yet Christians or who weren't Christians when he walked the earth, faith, as he said, can move mountains. But the just, those who are justified before the Lord, those who are made righteous by acknowledging his sacrifice and receiving his spirit, unto salvation. Now, having been baptized under obedience of that gospel, those are the just. The just shall live by faith. Not just do amazing things, not just get great healings, not just get great blessings, just not just see wonders and signs. They shall live. So the Bible, the New Testament, declares it three times. And we're going to look at it as uh, a point of no return, where you actually walk in faith and then walk on. You don't walk in faith just to tick a box and say, Lord, I've, I walked in faith today. I listened to you, Lord, and I trusted you, and I achieved it. That's great that box now I can get on with what I'm doing no you live by faith and by living and walking in faith then you live you truly live it's the difference between being on the ground in a rocket or a plane and achieving liftoff soaring you go into a new dimension a new element whole new ability our eternity starts when we receive the Holy Spirit. Our walk with the Lord starts when we start listening and we repent and we get baptized. That's how we're starting with the Lord. The Lord is drawing us in. The Lord is calling us. Here we come. Here we come. And then we receive the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. 
as a plane is designed to fly, as a rocket is designed to be launched, not stay on the ground. It's a promise it will happen. And then you receive it. And as we know from testimonies, you achieve liftoff. But you don't just go straight down on the ground again. You achieve liftoff to a purpose. Planes are built for a purpose. Rockets are built for a purpose. Faith is built inside of you uh, for a purpose. You have been called for a purpose and designed. Faith is a total commitment with no turning back. Don't turn back. It would be better that you'd never heard, said the Lord, if you turn back. It's a bit like taking off in a plane and then suddenly stalling and diving straight back down onto the ground. The Lord can't do anything for you. For without faith, it says it's impossible to please him. And faith and belief are the same root word of the stoil. They're welded together. You don't believe so you can get faith. You don't have faith so you can believe. Faith and belief are welded together. Just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And there are two types of faith when we're walking by faith, aren't there? There's the wider commitment of faith that the Lord is coming back. I will not leave you comfortless, he said. I go away to prepare a place for you. The Lord is returning, saith the, the, uh, the Gospels, the, uh, the letters, the apostles. The Lord is returning. Get ready, says Jesus. Come out. I'm going to go away and I'm going to come back. I will not leave you. And I sent you the Holy Spirit to remind you of that. So that's the wider commitment of faith. It doesn't matter what's happening in your world. You know the Lord's coming back. It doesn't matter what is happening around you. You know that this is all going to be changed. And all for the good and all for the perfect. Not just the better. And then there's a narrower commitment. It's the daily challenges. As we heard in Lloyd's testimony, you know, of things that come against us, of diseases and conditions that we suffer, of the unexpected upon the unexpected upon the unexpected. Of three down days in a row and no sign of a break. It's the daily challenges where we walk by faith. It's that narrower commitment. As we heard in the gifts, the Lord said, I'm just waiting to bless you, waiting to bless you. I'm coming back and everything's going to be changed and everything's going to be brilliant. But in the meantime, walk by faith that I might bless you. Walk by faith that I might call unto you and you will answer me. And I might show you things that you'd never dreamt of. And we see this again and again. Again, I'm not going to turn to the scriptures quite yet, but I'll quote that right through the Bible, we have the Lord appealing to our faith, appealing to our belief. On the wider commitment, I know he's coming back. I know he's returning. And the narrower daily commitment, Lord, you've got help me through this. Oh, Lord, let me just focus on your healing power. Lord, let me just think of the testimonies. It's the wider commitment, 
the narrower commitment. The psalmist, Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The assurance of Christ through the Psalms. There's the assurance of Christ in the Gospels. Mark 16, which we're always quoting, verses 15 to 20, is assurance. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Shall is the verb of assurance. So Christ echoes the Old Testament, takes the assurance and looks you full in the face and says, if you've done that, but if you don't do it, assures us that it's clear cut. It's the sword of the spirit. It's dividing asunder. The assurance which can be scary. If I go this way, disaster. If I go this way, delight. And nothing in between. And the assurance of Christ again in John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And the comfort of the spirit. John 14, 16 to 18, I will not leave you comfort. I will send you a comforter that he may abide with you forever. And the encouragement of the epistles. I can do all things, Philippians 4.13. Welcome, folks. Welcome. Hi there. The encouragement of the epistles, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And the inevitability of the word, the inevitability of the word. It doesn't matter what the academics say or some academics. It doesn't matter what other religions might think or some religions. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks. The word of God is inevitable. And unchanging. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You read that passage, John 1, 1 through to 5. That ain't shifting. So why should you? And as we're going to end up, when we turn to a scripture, the love of God. Your faith on the wider and the narrower rests on the love of God. It's designed by the love of God. Uh, you didn't achieve faith that was given to you, says the Lord. Why? Because as we heard in the testimony, you called out. You might have called out in a whisper. You might have called out in a shout. But you didn't call out with your voice. You called out with your heart. And the Lord answered. And according to his time, I know that can be debatable. You know, what does it mean, the Lord's timing? We know from each testimony that we got the Holy Spirit when the Lord decided we were going to get the Holy Spirit. But it shall happen.
It's a promise. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. Have I not said it, saith the Lord, and I will do it. Got me thinking, actually. I started thinking because um, Pastor Martin's very keen on pirate radio. <laughs> and I am not. Pastor Martin knows an awful lot about cricket, and I do not. But I know a little bit about something that Pastor Martin has no more interest in than Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> and that is aeroplanes. I love aeroplanes. Can I fly an aeroplane? No. Am I going to learn to fly an aeroplane? No. Do I love to read about aeroplanes? Oh, yes, yes. Why? Because my father taught me. Fathers are a big influence. My father, uh, during the Second World War, was in the Royal New Zealand Air Force as a flight sergeant mechanic and instructor. And he had a love of planes. He even used to design parts of the planes, he even designed an engine. You know, he just loved planes. He taught planes to me and my brother all the time, my brothers all the time. He gave me a love for it. And see the connection? We are sitting here today because our Father in heaven gave us a love for something that most people are not entirely, well, not interested at all or any passing interest. But it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. The fact that Pastor Martin doesn't particularly care for planes doesn't mean that there are no more planes. It would be a dangerous world if that was the case. No. Chelsea would win every season and there'd be no other team on the pitch. Your attitude towards something doesn't change whether it exists or not. If you ignore God, he still keeps going. If you praise God, he will answer. You love God because he loves you first. I love planes because my father loved them first. And when he was uh, based uh, in New Zealand during the war, he was based uh, in a place called Panuapai which is at the north of the Waitemata Harbour in Auckland. And uh, as you know, in that area, the war was against the Japanese. And he worked on, on various planes, but a plane that he loved to bits was called the Lockheed Hudson. Now, you haven't heard of the Lockheed Hudson? Okay, your lack of... Knowing about the Lockheed Hudson has not affected its existence. You'll be pleased to know. Okay. Do you believe in the Lockheed Hudson? We say, well, how do I know what I don't, how can I believe in what I don't know about? But your belief as a Christian is the same. How can you believe in God if you don't know about it? How can you believe in the gospel unless someone tells you, as it says in the Bible? How beautiful are the feet of him on the mountains who brings good news. My father had to express his love of the Lockheed Hudson for me to even know it existed. Big, well, it's a medium-sized twin-engine bomber. 
is not very beautiful to look at, but it's honest, it's faithful, it's hardworking, and it's very consistent. And it is probably one of the most underrated planes of the Second World War. And yet it was built in its hundreds and thousands and served all the way from Europe and the Atlantic and the American coast and Europe and down through into Asia. And I think the Middle East and certainly in Australia and New Zealand, the Lockheed Hudson did its job. And if we go to First uh, John, and we're going to stay in First John, just after Peter, right towards the end. Chapter 4 and verse 7. First John chapter 4, verse 7. So that's a remarkable passage in the Bible, which we, we tend to cherry pick it. We pick out of it. It's meant to be read as one passage. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. What? So, uh, sorry, John, First John chapter 4 and verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. I've been talking to you going on at some length maybe for about 10, 15 minutes, but that everything I said is summed up in that verse. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. If you truly love, he won't leave you comfortless. Mm -hmm. If you truly love, he will teach you things that you never learned before. If you truly love, he will show for you and do for you things that you could not ever do on your own. And you will know that God has done them for you. My father served um, in the squadron and he knew that you needed the Hudson plane which was an anti-submarine bomber to go out and look for what was expected, what was coming. They were so sure they actually promised it. And that was the Japanese invasion fleet and submarines. And they used to go out on patrol. And the fact that they would go out day after day and see nothing didn't for one moment dent their belief that the Japanese armed forces were out there and they were out there. If you don't see that first time, keep going. If you don't hear it first time, keep listening. If you don't identify it first time, keep searching. And that's what they did day after day, week after week, month after month. They flew the Hudson out across the Waitemata Harbor, out to the east coast mainly of New Zealand, across the South Pacific, looking for the Japanese and the anti-submarine aircraft. My father knew that they couldn't stop the Japanese on their own. They knew they needed that plane. 
All the men in the plane were highly trained. There were four in each plane. And they would go out on their own, a lone plane. And they would fly in a pattern up and down across the Pacific for as long as their fuel allowed and then come home. Always looking, always searching, always expecting. Like saints. Always looking for the return of the Lord. Always searching for the final day. Always knowing he will come. And on the narrower commitment, always when there's trouble, looking to him. I was listening to a testimony this morning on, on the podcast of, about a lady called Beck. And Ben Campbell, who runs the podcast, said that, isn't it interesting? We often say, oh, you know, this was crisis was happening or that problem was happening. So we, in the end, we decided to pray. In the end, we decided to pray. We all do it, don't we? I'll, I'll try this. I'll try that. Oh, it's still sore. I'll try that. I can't. Oh, my headache won't go. I've tried this. You know what? I might just pray. As Ben Campbell said, why isn't that our first resort? It's the God of gods. It's the King of kings. It's the Lord of lords. It's the creator of the universe. He's just, he's just waiting, isn't he? Okay, okay, they'll get there. Oh, yeah, you want, you want a hand down there, right? Yep, no problem. Angel alert, away you go. I decided to pray. My father said that he knew, and every one of them knew, that the Hudson was there. Not only their survival kit, they couldn't do the job without this plane. And they used to take off fully laden with depth charges and bombs and rockets and, and a full load of fuel. And also they had to have dinghies if they came down because it wasn't a seaplane. And he said that she was a faithful old horse. And the mechanics worked on it, kept it going. Just like we in the fellowship as the saints, <clears throat> every plane needed a team of mechanics. My father was one of them. No plane is good enough without the mechanics to support it. No gospel can make sense without people to preach it. No assembly can uh, thrive unless we come in the name of the doctrine, we teach the doctrine, we preach the doctrine, we live the doctrine. We're the mechanics on the plane. And it's crude. It's designed for us. The original Lockheed Hudson was actually a, a, a civilian aircraft and had been redesigned and turned into a warplane very successfully. Um, and despite being ignored by mo most people when I was too, I was in love with the Spitfire, da -da 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 -da, mosquitoes, 633 Squadron, Hurricanes, great stuff. The Hudson? You must be joking. Hudson was the first plane in the Second World War flying out of Britain to shoot down an enemy aircraft. The first American plane to shoot, to destroy a submarine was a Hudson. The Hudson has more firsts than most planes and yet totally ignored. We are the same as saints. We do miracles every day. Do you know you came here today? That's a miracle, as Pastor Jock would say. You pray in tongues, that's a miracle. You get up in the morning and you pray to the Lord, that's a miracle. 
Every day is a miracle when the saints stand. Every day is a miracle when the saints persist. And we carry on in First John, verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifest, the love of God, manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Remember, remember, remember a verse like that. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. You've got that, you can achieve lift off. You can soar, you can leave the earth and soar into heavenly places. But it takes courage. It takes application. The Lockheed Hudson, as my father would say, wouldn't work for you unless, unless you worked for it. Wouldn't look after you unless you looked after it. Same with the gospel, same with the fellowship, same with the just shall live by faith. Faith won't work in you unless you apply it. There's a, the Hudson is associated with the almost unique event in the history of warfare, let alone the Second World War. Concerned the Royal Australian Air Force, a, uh, a pilot by the name of Warren Cowan in 1942 was flying off New Guinea, uh, defending the Australian troops against the Japanese. And he and his crew of uh, three, so there were four of them, and a Hudson, which is a bomber, got attacked by nine Japanese fighters. And one of the nine Japanese fighters was flown by a man called Saburo Sakai, Japan's top ace. And for 10 minutes, this big twin-engine bomber said Sakai showed amazing Aggressiveness, amazing determination, amazing courage, and amazing skill, he said. For 10 minutes, despite our best efforts, it avoided us and even flew against us until Saburo Sakai finally shot it down. At the end of the war, he approached the Australian government, now as an old man, and he made a formal application that Pilot Officer Cowan be given the Victoria Cross for gallantry in the face of the enemy. And the only reason that the Australian government couldn't grant it was that his approach was after the war had been officially stopped. Apparently there's some rule that you can't issue the Victoria Cross after the warfare has stopped. An unsung hero. And as saints, we are unsung heroes. We lay down our lives for the Lord as the Lord laid down his life for us. That Hudson in the hands of one man did something that took the breath away from the enemy and turned the enemy into one who loved him and mourned his passing and wanted him to be honored. 
As Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. We, we turn enemies into friends. That's the business of the gospel. We save ourselves by saving others. And I like to see this passage in 1 John as I'm going to tell you one final story to finish off. What happened to my father flying a Hudson? And imagine that you are in this amazing passage. And now at the same time, you're in a plane and it's trying to achieve liftoff on this tiny little airfield in New Zealand. It's rumbling along the runway, full of stuff, and it's trying to get off the ground. And this passage, I love it because, you know, I think it mentions love as a verb or a noun 27 times. People say, oh, you Christians, you're always going on about love. Yes. 27 times in one chapter. The disciple whom Jesus loved. John got it. John got it. He understood. And people say, you Christians, you're always going on about you have to speak in tongues. Why? Because the Bible goes on about it. The Bible welds the Holy Spirit and receiving the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues, welds it in and then nails it down. And this passage, speaking in tongues without love is a waste of time. But if you speak in tongues, you have the Holy Spirit, the love of God within you. And your time should be no longer wasted. Just reading on, imagine yourself trundling down the runway. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Love, love, love. Hereby know we that dwell in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. We that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Love, love, love. And right in the middle of the passage, the Godhead is declared. As it says, we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And then it goes on, uh, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love. 
And in verse 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. The whole thing is in that passage. And it's all about love. And right smack in the middle of it, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, declared, Behold my Son, in whom I am well pleased, as the Father said. Okay, so what am I talking about? Uh, this funny little story that my dad told me that I never get out of my head now. And I reckon it's like this passage, this, this running down the runway and then what happens? He said they were taking off one morning. He was flight engineer that day on the plane. Most of the time he worked on the ground with the planes. Uh, but every so often he went up as a flight engineer on anti-submarine patrols and anti-shipping. And he said, we were laden because they wanted us to go out a long way because they heard that there were Japanese submarines were going ahead of the Japanese invasion fleet, which was working, it seemed to be coming down. And if it landed in New Zealand, it was game over. They couldn't stop them, but they could stop them a long way out. And he said, we had rockets and depth charges and bombs. We had, uh, there was... Um, a gun turret and all the ammunition for that and all that and fuel upon fuel and extra tanks to get out a long way. So we took off at dawn because that was the best chance of catching a Japanese submarine on the surface. He said it's really dark and you could just see the flare paths ahead of you, but you'd see that the sky was changing. Just, you know, when the dawn comes up, it gets that light blue. And he said, you can see what we all were afraid of on the skyline were the trees. They had trees. They had trees to stop planes coming in low and shooting up um, the planes on the ground. And they hated the trees, but they needed them. And he said, we're trundling along. They run the engines up. They really warm them up. Run the engines up to great sound when you hear it. And then they, the, the pilot said, here we go, lads. And they let the brakes off, and away they start. And Dad said, we're going along. We're doing about 20 miles an hour. How, how much do you need to get lift off? About 150 miles an hour, something like that, maybe 200. We're just trundling along. And he said, we're eating up the runway, eating it up. And he said, I'm meant to be watching the dials as flight engineer, you know, fuel, temperature, this gauge, that gauge. He said, I'm just looking, to, looking, and I can see the runway getting eaten up, and I can see those trees getting, growing in front of us. If we hit the trees, it would just be a huge explosion. He said, it wasn't unique. It wasn't unique. Planes did hit the trees sometimes. And he said, then we seem to get a little bit of, of speed, but not much. And we're going and going and going. And then the pilot said, the point of no return is coming. Now, point of no return, they still have it on the runways at Heathrow and Gatwick. And that's a, a, a big marker, and it's painted across the, the runway, where if you haven't achieved liftoff at that point, you must shut down because you're not going to you're going to be off the end of the runway. It's the point of no return. And he said, we reached the point of no return and we were still stuck on the ground. 
and the pilot, he said, lads, we're going to go for it. And he just opened everything up. And he said, we crossed the point of no return, still on the deck. And the trees, and Dad said, I thought, we're just going to go straight into the trees. And then he said, the nose came up. And he said, we're still going to hit the trees. And he said, the engines were just roaring. He said, for a moment, I looked at the dials and everything was going for it. He said, the whole plane was shaking. No one was saying anything. And the pilot and the co-pilot were both working the controls. The, pilot, the co-pilot seemed to be leaning across to help the pilot. And no one, and they just, and he said, the trees came up and the nose came up and the trees came up and the nose came up. And then he said, the wheels of the undercarriage hit the top of the trees, just went through the branches at the top. And then we were through the trees and staggering up into the morning, into the dawn. And he said, I'll never forget what the pilot said. The pilot said, okay, Jesus, I've got her now. And they kept climbing. And I still think, okay, Jesus, I've got her now. Was that pilot joking or was he serious? I think he was both. As we heard in the gifts, when you call upon the Lord, are you calling on him because you know he's a friend and he's always there and you've always called? Or are you calling on him because in that one moment you know for a certainty that only God can get you out of this one? Okay, Jesus, I've got a noun. Meant that I could exist. If that plane had gone into the trees, been a fraction lower, it would have cartwheeled into the trees, been a big explosion. I wouldn't exist. Becky wouldn't exist, Ben wouldn't exist, Meg, Holly. I didn't put myself in order of importance. It's just, you know, it makes you think, doesn't it? Who's in control here? Give you one guess. It ain't me, it's the Lord. Okay, Jesus, I've got her now. I wonder if that pilot thought about that. And they climbed to operational height and they went out, completed the mission and came back home. You read John, 1 John chapter 4 tonight from verse 7 through to 21. That's achieving liftoff. And does God stop there? If you've got time, reach chapter 5. It goes on. Verse 1, whoso believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments up to operational height, scrape through the trees. We are scarcely saved. We're like a Hudson under full load, just going through the treetops on a dawn patrol. We are scarcely saved. But having been scarcely saved, we achieve operational height and complete the mission. By faith, through love. We are all the same, and yet we are unique. We are all designed by God, made by God. But now, like men have been brought out of Sibby Street, men and women have been brought out of Sibby Street, 
and trained to be mechanics and trained to be pilots and trained into the service of warfare. We are now different because we abide in God and God abides in us. And we live through him and for him. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.